Welcome to Midwest Crazy, Tales of Indiana's Caviar King. My name is Lindsay. I am David's granddaughter. He's also known as Indiana's Caviar King, or how I refer to him, is Papal. Each week, I give you an episode retelling his stories that he's acquired over his life and had time to sit down and write while he was in prison. This week's episode is going to cover a couple zoo escapees, and something that Pepal calls the nine-state sting, even though it was more like five states. And if I have time, I might include the story about a trip down to Florida to capture some monkeys in a swamp. But let's go ahead and dive in. Another escape, my big male lion, Goliath. Now, I was working at Value City doing carpenter work. I get a call from Vicky, and she says, The lion's on the loose. Come home now. I'm trying to remember. I know one time, it might be this one, that Vicky called the sheriff department to keep an eye out for me. I was headed to work, and a sheriff in the middle of the interstate noticed my truck and pulled me over to tell me something was loose. I know Vic will remember. Anyway, Goliath was loose. I know I get home and no one is there but me and Vicky. I know it had been an hour or two later. Anyway, he hadn't gone far from his pen. He was a good lion. I would get in his pen and play with him. He was a full-sized black mane African lion, the first young cat we had ever bought, so I had spent a lot of time with him several years earlier. I think I went and got a loaded gun and gave it to Vicky and told her if anything went wrong, shoot one of us. And then I got a dead turkey that we fed the cat sometimes and headed down to his pen. I think he was on top of another pen. Anyway, Vicky's outside the fence where she can't get hurt, and when Goliath sees me, he starts to come to me. I hurry and get the turkey in his pen, and he goes right back in there, no problem. Now here's a better one. I could have been at Value City this time, too. It was me, Bentley, and Butch, and both of them worked for me down there. Vicky calls again. I was feeding the leopards and left a door open, and the leopard is loose. Before I tell you about this, let me fill you in on something. We had over 30 large cats, even a jaguar. Hardly any zoo owns a jaguar. We were inspected regularly and had many nice pens. We had over 100 animals altogether. We were the ones to get confiscated other exotics for fish and wildlife if the owners were in fault for some reason, and it was our zoo where they all ended up at. Now when I say an animal was loose, it was still in the compound with other animals. We had an eight-foot-high fence around the whole compound where if they got out of their pen, they were still in the compound. Now I remember this one with the leopard was a better one. Now, I'm sure it had been an hour or two by time we got there, and Vicky's flipping out. The leopard is all over the compound, a long way from its cage, and it will eat you alive. It's one we used for breeding, and it was mean as hell. So I tell Bentley and Butch what to expect. Both of these guys are hunters and live in the country, nothing like my friends from Dayton. They know what to expect and are ready to do whatever I tell them. Okay, now the first thing I do is go load a shotgun, so there's no way they will miss. I know if something bad happens, there won't be time for two shots, and here's my plan. Butch is a big, stout man. 
Bentley is lighter than me and a good shot. Now as I'm walking around the outside of the compound, the eight-foot fence area, the leopard sees me and runs to where I'm at and is mad, trying to get to me. So wherever I go, he tries to get to me, mad, ready to eat me up. So I walk away from the compound, and here's what I'm thinking. I'm going to get the leopard at one end of the compound, and Butch is supposed to go in the compound and go in the snake building that's in the middle of the zoo area, in a room where the leopard can't get to him. So the leopard is trying to eat me and not paying attention to anything else. And Bentley's got the gun, if anything goes wrong. And off Butch goes into the snake building, the leopard never sees him. Now I done tried to give him a shot to knock him out with a shot pole, and he kept swatting it away and it won't get far enough away to shoot with a tranquilizer gun. So my plan is to get a catch pole around its neck through the fence and hold on to the pole and get Butch to come out of the snake building and give it a shot to knock it out using a four-foot shot pole. So everyone is ready and I get the catch pole around his neck and I'm holding him like crazy. I got him pulled up tight to the fence and he calms down, so I hollered for Butch to come and give him the shot. Now there's like two steps going up into the snake building. Butch has got to come down those, and remember, he's a big man. Here comes Butch, and the leopard sees him and starts going nuts to get to him. And the leopard pulls the catch pole out of my hands and takes off after Butch, dragging the pole behind him. Butch sees this and takes off for the snake building. The leopard has almost caught him as Butch goes up the steps to get in the snake room. When the leopard heads up the steps, the catch pole hits the steps and throws the leopard over, and Butch just barely makes it to safety. Now, before the leopard had pulled away from me, Butch had made it all the way over to where me and the leopard were, and when he took the shot pole and gave him the shot, he turned around and went for the snake building, and I was able to hold the leopard while he got a little bit of a head start. So now he's in the snake building. Bentley never had to shoot, and we were waiting for the leopard to go to sleep, and then finally get him back in his pen. I guess you would have had to have been there. I do remember Butch telling Bentley he could have got killed, why didn't you shoot, and he was getting the gun next time. Now we're going to get into the nine state sting. Okay, we've had the zoo for many years, many stories and chapters in that chapter of mine and Vicky's lives that I will try and put together later, but let me tell you about the sting. We had a trio of black bears, there were two female and one male and they would have babies every spring while hibernating. For each female would have two or three babies every year. That would happen around late February or early March when we would hear them where the mommies were asleep. That's when we would get them and start bottle feeding them. This particular year, we had sold our cubs and still needed more for other animal parks. Now let me tell you this, the exotic animal business was like commercial fishing. You had the older ones that had been doing it for several years, and you had the others. Now at this time in the exotic business, I'm pretty well known, and there's many laws and many ways around it. You know, laws are made to be broken. Now, I'm needing some bear cubs, and one of the dealers I called told me to get a hold of these two lodges. They had been taking stuff out of the wild, but couldn't give you any paperwork. This was in Tennessee, so somehow... They or I got a hold of each other, and I told them I was needing some bear cubs. They said they could come up with some. Now I called two or three of the dealers that had been getting animals from them, and they said that they had been dealing with them for about a year, and they also were doing business with the Knoxville Zoo. 
So anyway, some time passed, and they give me a call saying they had some and wanted me to meet with them. I had a friend that sold fireworks right before you get to Nashville, Tennessee. Buck. It was right off the highway, so that's where I told them to meet. Now I hate to say it, but listen to this. I got there early, so I went to the next exit, past where I was supposed to go, to a restaurant, and I got something to eat. I go in, and there's a bunch of game wardens, maybe 10 or 15, at a couple of tables. So I get my coffee and leave. How dumb can I be? So I go back to where I'm supposed to meet at, and I pull straight behind the firecracker shop, and it's a big building. I meet the two guys, and look at the bears, and they were older. One, not really what I wanted. They made them cheap, and I told them I would take them. I remember them wanting me to pull from behind the shop to the open, and I wouldn't do it. They had to go behind the building, too. Okay, now that was the first time I met them. I'm really not for sure what all I got. I know I got a couple of bears. I really didn't want too old for the customer I had. Okay, I make it home, unload the bears, and I'm just going to have to keep them and find someone else that might want them. We could always run them through an auction or butcher them. We had took bears and lions to a friend that could get them inspected and butchered ready to sell legally. Now, the second trip, I had been talking with the other dealers and they were still doing business with them. I think the loggers got a hold of me wanting to know if I wanted some baby deer, so it must be in April, that's when they're born. I don't remember how many, but I made some kind of deal for what they had, so I tell them to go to the same place, and we met again. I go back home and sell all the deer to another dealer. Okay, I really don't know why I went the next time unless it was for baby skunks. I don't know why I would go that far for a few skunks. They had to make it sound too good to be true. So I go again, tell them to meet the same place, only this time they are there but don't have anything. They tell me it's a few miles down the road at their camp to follow them, so I do. Now, we go a few miles and turn into a subdivision, several houses, and then they go through a small trailer park and out into a field. They got an old camper sitting in the middle of this field. To the left of the field is the Interstate 65 and to the right is a small patch of trees and a fence in a row. Now, as I'm going back to the camper, I know something is up. So they park close to the camper, and so do I. They jump out of their truck and come toward mine. I get out and say, so this is your all's deer hunting camp, and they say yes. Now I know something is up, because there's no deer around there. So I think they know I don't like it. I don't touch nothing. And they are loading my truck with some skunks, rattlesnakes, I'm not for sure what all. Now it comes time to pay them. They tell me how much, and I go to the passenger side of the truck, away from the camper, and count their money and hand it to them. Now they keep trying to get me on the other side of the truck so they could film me doing something from the camper. I didn't fall for it. But after getting their money, they said let me see now, and started counting the money, laying it on top of my truck hood. Now, I tell them to get their money, I'm leaving. So off I go again, and I get on the highway and start calling the guys that set me up with them and told them to get ready, because it doesn't look good. Now the friend I sold deer to was scared enough. He said he went and killed and buried them. I don't really know if he did or not. 
It wasn't too long after that they all started getting busted, and the one friend lost his truck, trailer, some animals, and started going to court. Now that was a good friend. Next, a man named Kellen, another dealer I did business with, and then another very well-to-do man I liked very well, David. Lots of money raised cougars and knew the man at Knoxville Zoo. Anyway, they were all going to court for about a year, and every time they would go to court, they would call me and say, have you heard anything yet? I would say no. Each one of them did that. Now it was about a year or more later, I was working construction at Value City, and my son called me and says there's two U.S. Marshals looking for me. I say, don't tell them where I'm at. Now they finally leave and go to the sheriff's office, checking on me, and the sheriff is a friend of mine, and he told the marshals that he would let me know and to where I got to turn myself in at. That was in Evansville, Indiana, about 60 miles from the house. So before I turn myself in, I get a lawyer in Evansville, a federal lawyer. We have no money, so mom gives me something for a little of it, like a CD or something. Anyway, I get enough to get started, so I go turn myself in. Me and Vicky go to the lawyer. I don't have to pay any bond or anything, but I will be going to court in Nashville, Tennessee, and I will need a lawyer down there too. So there we go. Now, I'm not for sure how long it goes on, but we get the evidence, and it was crazy, like how they had two surveillance cars and an airplane to follow me home, and one of the officers asked me what I had in my truck. I had lost them, I guess, every time on the way home. Even the airplane had to detour around Louisville, and he would lose me. But I know one or two times I stopped at Mom's in Clarksville to check on her and Dad. Every phone call was recorded. They had a lot of evidence. Now, one thing I remember is when I was in there with the lawyers and the prosecutor, he was trying to get me to help them get the others. And one was my friend that had bought the deer from me. And I kept telling them, no, I wouldn't help them. They had it down to Kellen and Jay, the one that got the deer, after saying no several times. I asked the lawyer sitting there, what am I paying you for? And what part of no doesn't he understand? Then they told the prosecutor if he said it again, they were going to do something. And that was the end of that for a while. As time went on, Roy lost his truck, got fined. I got probation and a felony. Roy did not get a felony. Me and Roy settled out of court. Kellen was going to court. And the prosecutor called me and Vicky to come to Nashville while Kellen was going to court. They were paying for a room and food, so off we went. Now, when we get down there, the prosecutor got me in his office, and he's telling me what he wants me to say when he calls me for a witness, and I tell him that's not going to happen. He said I agreed to, and I said, when my lawyer told me to say yes, I did, and when they said to say no, I did. Now, I'm telling you, if you put me on the stand, I'm going to tell them how we have all been in a trap. I will not help you at all. So he kept me and Vicky in a room while the trial went on, and I found out Kellen made a deal too and got some time. Not much. Anyway, David was left in the Knoxville Zoo too. I heard that they made a deal. Now, David's got plenty of money. He says he will fight till the end. And then one day he calls me and says, I'm going to send you a news article and don't tell me what of. And when I get it, it's about one of the officers that was a logger had got caught with several pounds of pot and in a hotel with a hooker. Now, I'm not for sure what happened after that. I remember calling him, and I think the other logger had quit fish and wildlife, 
and the ass got thrown out for something. Okay, now it's been several months later. I see Roy and Jay at the auctions, and then one day, here comes Kellen. He was like another person. He was just dumbfounded. You could see where he had been pissing on himself, and he wasn't himself at all. I tried to talk to him, and it was like talking to a crazy man. I guess prison had done him in. I never seen or talked to him again. And that is all I have for this one. Thank you for listening to today's episode. And as usual, follow us on Instagram. It's just at Midwest Crazy. Next week's episode is going to feature the story about a trip to Florida to capture some monkeys. Like I kind of said I was going to do in this episode. (laughs) And possibly my Aunt Jess's wedding. And we also might go a little bit backwards for a moment to catch up on some stories that I had out of order. I did get a little excited to get into all the exotic animal stories, but those personally are my favorite ones. Anyway, thanks again for listening, and I will catch you in the next one. (laughs) 